This morning we turn to Genesis chapter 3 as we turn in God's Word, looking once again at foundations, that being the title of this series, Foundations, and this subtitle, Satan's Lies and God's Everlasting Truth, Satan's Words versus God's Word. This week, as you know, we're hosting Vacation Bible School, looking forward to that. The, uh, the, the sessions for each day, are, I think, are very uh, uh, helpful in, uh, in grounding us, and I'm, I, it fits so well with our study in the book of, of Genesis, going to be learning about the beginning of life made in God's image, the wonder of life made with amazing design, the value of life made with worth, eternal life made for relationship, and using your life made for a reason. And for us to understand these things, we begin at the beginning. We begin in the book of Genesis. We look there for uh, the answers to these questions. As I've said before, Genesis is simply written, but there are profound and and uh, multi-layered levels of truth that we have to unpack. And if we don't do that, we see a culture that's confused. We see a culture that that gets lost uh, in its its way and humanity acting uh, in ways that are beyond uh, our our comprehension that that this would ever have come to, to where we are now. Ken Ham, founder of Answers in Genesis, who's the, the publishing company behind the, the materials we're using this week, has said many times that if Genesis falls, the church falls. He's, he's focused his entire ministry uh, on the book of Genesis. And he makes the point that uh, uh, there, is, there is much attack leveled right there in the book of Genesis. Uh, he's, he's said that uh, because of the, the numerous opinions about whether it's Uh, uh, factual, whether it's literal, whether it's this or that, has led to an undermining of of our our confidence in the Word of God in the church. Young people are leaving the church. He's written a book called Already Gone. I skimmed it some years ago and, and, and looked it over again this week. And he asks the question, when do young people leave the church? And quite often we, we, observe that when it happens in college because they leave home and they, they decide they're making decisions and, and they are not attending church. Many are not attending church. But he, he looks at the statistics of how this all happens and he said it's happening much earlier. He says they're checking out of church at a much younger age because there, there'll be some who say, well, Genesis says this, but we're not sure. These are, this, this may be uh, simply speaking of theistic evolution, that these are just long processes and God is overseeing all of this randomness and this this chance that happens. He's he's certainly above it, but but it's just, it's just, it's all happening on its own. Well, that's the first step to saying, well, God no longer has any part in it, any any part in the process, any part in the creation. And uh, young people pick up on that and they say, well, why should I read the Bible if I if I'm not even sure what it says, if I'm not even sure that it's, that it's really uh, uh, accurate, it's, it, it, can it be authoritative? If it's not authoritative in things like origins, can it be authoritative in things like marriage? Can it be authoritative in things like sexuality? Can it be authoritative in things like uh, uh, how I am to, to relate to authority? Can it be authoritative in things like the way of salvation? 
And these things get chipped away at. And his, his point in, in this book is that, that we're, we're often thinking that young people are leaving, young adults are leaving the church when they get to, to college or university, but they've, they've already begun to ask questions and he gives statistics. I won't go into all those. I can give them to you if you want them. But he goes into statistics about how many of them are having their first doubts already in middle school. And, and then in high school, they're, they're, they're already saying, you know, I, I don't think I can buy that. It's probably just myth. It's probably just another way of looking at the world that, that Christians like to, to put forward as just one of many options. And so it's very important for us to look at Genesis as as, as God's word for us that is authoritative and that is we can understand it. Jesus himself used Genesis over and over again in, in, his, in the Gospels. You look at Matthew uh, chapter uh, 22, uh, Matthew 19, Matthew 23, uh, Matthew 24, where he's referring to uh, marriage and man in the image of God and Abel as a historical person and uh, um, the idea of, of the, the, the literal flood and so on. And he also warns in his ministry of this, and we've, we saw this last week and we're, we're, we're going to come there again. He, says, he also warns that from the very beginning, there has been one who has sought to undermine that truth, who seeks to deceive. And he says the liar, or the devil rather, has been a liar from the beginning. He knows that if the Bible's questioned in matters of origin, it'll be questioned in many other matters as well. And remember Satan's attack that we heard last week. Did God really say? Has God really said this or that? And we need to know the truth in order to combat the lie. So this morning we're going to be looking at very, very um, basic truths from the word, but things that we need to have as foundation that we might build upon them. We must read God's word. We must recognize it, that it is the measure of things. God is the measure of things and not man. When they propose some plausible idea that is at odds with the biblical account and that which seeks to remove God from the equation, which seeks to remove creation from a creator, we need to know and to stand with the truth. Listen, just as I summarize what Genesis 2 says as we come to chapter 3. Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man, <clears throat> excuse me, he put the man whom he had formed. Then, uh, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. In verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 21 then says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then we read in chapter 128, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
In verse 16 of chapter 2, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Lord God created all things out of nothing by His Word. He created man, male and female. He provided for them. He gave commands to them. But as we learned last week, something happened after the creation of the heavenly beings. There was rebellion in heaven, and that majestic angel Satan was cast out of heaven because he sought equality with God, and he went to make war against God's appointed rulers in the garden. And that is where we take up our reading this morning, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me or gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The people of God, as we saw last week, the devil is extremely wise and crafty. The Lord sets before us in his word that craftiness, that twisted nature of the devil. We must understand how he seeks to turn us against God, to follow after his own heart. He's the father of lies. Therefore, we must be careful to know the truth and respond with the truth against him. Where do we turn for authoritative material today? Where do we turn for truth? What network maybe is going through your mind? There isn't one. There's so much disinformation out there. There's so much disruption and corruption. We cannot trust implicitly any network, any media outlet. The only place we can turn is to the Word of God to find truth and to hide it in our hearts that we might not ever turn from it. I want to look this morning at... uh, Three lies that Satan tells versus the truth that God gives. 
thought about two sermons back to back, and I thought, I don't know if I can hold that all together, so I'm going to try to keep it fairly simple here this morning. That first lie that Satan says is this, that on the day that you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened. We see that there in chapter, verse 4. Your eyes will be opened. Is there something that God said that you can't eat? He says to the woman, what, is there a, are, are, some of the trees you can't touch, you can't eat? And she says, well, yeah, actually, there is that one in the midst of the garden. And the devil says, well, if you partake of that tree, your eyes will be open. You'll be able to see. That's the lie. The truth is this. Her eyes were already open. (laughs) Wide open to God. Wide open to the glory of his creation. Wide open to see and to understand. God had given the man and the woman incredible the incredible gift of sight to behold him, to obey him, to walk in the holiness of life. The reason Adam and Eve needed no coverings, as we hear in the garden, was that they had no sin, nothing to cover, nothing to hide. They could see God's goodness wherever they looked, and it filled them with happiness and thankfulness. What Satan did was tempt Eve with the thought that there was more to see. Another world, something that she didn't know about, that he didn't know about, that really was living. My dad says very often when he's at a a good moment along a lake or something, this is living. This really is living. You know, he, see, he, sees the, he sees the beauty of God's word. He says, this is living. Well, what Satan wanted Eve to say was, this isn't really, this, can't, this, this isn't quite there. There's something, something being kept from me that, that really would make life worth living, that would really open my eyes. You know, further truth is this. She was blind to that other world. She was blind to evil. Adam was blind to evil. And that was a gift from God. That they didn't know the corruption. That they didn't know the depravity, the wickedness of the devil. Satan tempted Eve to go beyond herself to go beyond the boundaries and barriers that God had given. Satan tempted her to look for more somewhere else, telling her that God was withholding something from her. This, dear people of God, was the point at which she was to exercise faith. When God speaks, we say, this is living. We say, this is it. This is it. What God teaches, this is living. And we exercise faith in Him. It was here that our first parents were to trust the Lord, to trust God's path for them. They were to trust God's good plan 
when they disobeyed, they gained nothing and they lost everything. Friends, that's Satan's strategy still today. He and his demon host tempt humanity to reject boundaries, to deny limitations, to believe that happiness is absolute freedom, no no boundaries, but to reject God is destructive and brings misery. We need to remember because we regularly think that God might be withholding something from us. So we don't say it that way, but we look, we're looking just over the next hill. We're looking over the next, around the next corner. We want to see what else is there. Is there something else maybe for us? This isn't quite there. And rather than looking to God and finding our all in Him, we're looking somewhere else. It's our nature. But children, let me just illustrate it this way. Sin rejects what God has made necessary for us. When, when an a- astronaut goes into space, he wears a suit, right? And if he's on the moon or he's at the space station, well, I guess he, he had to be outside the space station. But if he's on the moon, if he, doesn't, if he says to himself, I want freedom, I'm sick of this stupid suit, and he takes the suit off, what's going to happen? It's going to die. He's going to be no longer protected no longer receive the oxygen that he needs, no longer receive the cooling and the heat, the cool and the heat that he needs to regulate body temperature. He's going to die. When God speaks the truth, he says, these are the boundaries I give. Walk in this way and it will be life for you. Satan's lie says this, sin opens your eyes to all kinds of new possibilities. New realities. But the truth is, sin perverts and leads to death. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 19.8. Commit that to memory. Obedience. To God is the way to see. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You want to see clearly? You want to be enlightened? Then know His commandments. Know His word. Well, secondly, Satan promised Eve that on the day that she ate the forbidden fruit, she would not die, but rather she would be like God. He lied. The truth is this. She already was like God. Genesis 1.26 tells us, And the Lord said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The Lord graciously bestowed his image upon them. Satan tempted the woman with the thought that there was another way to be like God. And that was to grasp at equality with him. To be alongside of him, to say, well, I think I want to operate this solar system. I want to operate this creation I want to be God. And as we saw last week, he had grasped for that. He said, I will make myself like the Most High. He he says that in Isaiah 14, uh, verse 14. I will do this. I will do that. You remember his, his great statements of what he hoped to do. I will set my throne on high. I will sit in the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I will be God. Well, this was the time to exercise faith, a submissive faith. 
Eve and Adam were to humbly acknowledge that the Lord is God and there is no other. That is what we need today. And sadly, there are all too many illustrations that we could point to that shows that humanity doesn't like that and refuses that. When God tells us, this is how I've made you, we say, no, my body, my choice about what gender, my choice about who I identify as. And God says, from the moment I conceived you, there was life. The cry goes out, no, my body, my choice. I will determine what happens to that life. And then we're told that this is what power looks like. This is empowerment, we're told. It's a lie. It's enslavement to sin is what it is. Such rebellion doesn't make us God. We cannot change what is by living in rebellion. Sin only seeks to destroy what is good. In rebellion, Adam and Eve did not become free. There is no freedom in disobedience to God. And interestingly, we even see it in their posture when they disobey. Do they act like God? Ah, now the garden is mine. What do they do? They go and hide among the trees. Not exactly a divine act upon a divine pronouncement. They hid for shame, verse 10 tells us. And how is it then that people can parade around today in their sin, not hiding in their shame? Well, it's, it's this. They do not know God. We have lost an awareness of the greatness and glory of God. R.C. Sproul is saying it for decades, the holiness of God. We've lost that, that such that God is somehow domesticated, somehow like us. He thinks like us. He has lusts like us. He has, he has hopes and dreams like us, and he can just be made to be like us. David Wells, in his series of books on the theological state of, in America, says this, there's a certain weightlessness to God. He's not all that important. He's not that consequential. He's just there if we need him for something, if we can't figure something out, but for nothing else. And as that attitude continues to grow and continues to, to mature, it leads to a very arrogant attitude. As perhaps we see in in an undisciplined child, as perhaps we see in an undisciplined uh, person. There's just this growth of, I don't need to hear that. I know the better way. I don't need to know from you what is true and what is false. No, instead of walking and ruling freely upon the earth with great joy, Adam and Eve hid because God came and God will come again. And when he does, there will not be an arrogant response. There will be a terrible fear for those who live in rebellion against him. Disobedience does not make one like God. Disobedience is suicide. The Bible says freedom is found in obedience. The the psalmist, when he's speaking of the perfections of Scripture in Psalm 119, verse 44, says this, 
I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and then I shall walk in a wide place. Then there is freedom. Then, there is, then I can come and go as I please. To walk in the light of your commandments is to walk in a wide place. Jesus himself said, the truth of God, the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. Well, thirdly, Satan promised Eve that on the day that she ate the forbidden fruit, she would not die, but rather she would become wise, knowing both good and evil, and being able to decide for herself which path she would choose. He lied. The truth was she already had the knowledge of the good given to her by God. And no one can gain wisdom by disobeying God. No one becomes wise by disobeying God. We can only lose it this way. Proverbs 2.6 says, The Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 9 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Paul encourages the Christians in Rome with these words, be wise about what is good. Be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Don't practice it. Don't pursue it. And he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, James says. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. Evil was not a part of the curriculum, writes one commentator. Evil was not part of the curriculum in the education God wanted for his blessed and beloved creatures. But Satan presented this knowledge of evil as if it was an advantage of which God had deprived our first parents. God said this, either or, good or evil, blessing or curse, Satan promised they could have both, knowledge of good and evil, risk-free, no consequence. Satan presented himself as one who is free, having something that Eve didn't possess, and he hid from her the consequences of his actions. He had been cast out of heaven, doomed to destruction. This was the time to exercise faith by turning to God James 1 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that he might receive wisdom, for he gives generously to all without finding fault. If you lack wisdom, turn to the Word. Well, our first parents didn't do that, and the result is made clear in Romans chapter 3. No one is righteous, no one does good or seeks good. No one understands. No one fears God. No one ever will ever gain wisdom by turning from God. Romans 1 says this, They, seeking to become wise, became fools. Those who rejected the truth, suppressing it in unrighteousness, sought to become wise, and they became fools, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. 
That is why, dear brothers and sisters, we walk in the word, retaining the knowledge of God, continually reviewing it, reminding ourselves of what it says, applying it to our lives. Remembering what he says about how he's made us, what he's made us for. Following Satan's lies, our first parents gained nothing and lost everything. If they had believed God's word and obeyed God's law, they would have gained wisdom. Listen to what, how the psalmist describes the word of God in Psalm 19, verse 7. It says this, the way, or excuse me, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It revives the soul. It awakens us. It opens our eyes. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, making wise those who are yet to grow into wisdom, the young. Humanity is enslaved to sin and is defenseless against Satan's lies unless God opens our eyes by His Spirit. What we hear advanced in our sinful society today are lies. I can present statistics of the Sorrow that comes from the legalization of sin. I looked at some of those statistics this week and I debated whether I should mention them here, but I, I, I've decided just to summarize. I'm just going to try to keep it, as I said, simple. But it, it says very clearly divorce is devastating. The statistics of the legalization of that which is against God's command. Abortion is psychologically destructive, not to mention causing medical complications. Legalization of marijuana leads to violence. Though we're told, it leads to the relaxing of those who take it. Statistics say otherwise. Transgenderism leads to hopelessness, thoughts of suicide, people wanting to detransition to go back. The moral revolution, this revolution that we see right now, this living by lies is filled with victims. Not of those who have become more free, but of those who become enslaved to hopelessness, to despair. One writer says, ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims. We're seeing a lot of bad ideas practiced, put into practice, and we're seeing victims. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who stood up against the against the uh, communism of his day in the Soviet Union, spoke of the, the deceiving happiness of the moral revolution. He was basically, uh, I, I believe, booted out of his country, came to the United States. He was speaking at a, at, a, at a commencement exercise at Harvard University some decades ago and warning about the, about the deceiving happiness of disobedience. And he warned them of turning against the Lord. And then he said in another context, this movement is all lies. We know they're lying. They know they're lying. They know we know they're lying. We know they know we know they're lying. But they keep on lying. You see how you think you know a language, but boy, if you're not listening carefully, you can lose your way very quickly. I had to read that about, well, I won't tell you how many times I had to read it. 
But you've got to listen because the Word can twist and deceive. He went on to say this, let it be said that we as God's people will say we will not live by lies. Satan's strategy is this, keep lying, hoping that one day the lie will be the truth, but that will never happen. Truth alone is eternal. The lie will one day be crushed underfoot along with the devil, as Paul says in Romans 16, 20. Well, as we close, just a word concerning how God came down to Adam and Eve. We don't have time to look at it today, but we see that, and I read it because I wanted us to, to, to keep that in mind as we're talking about Satan's lies and God's everlasting truth. He comes to the man and the woman not in fiery judgment. He comes down to talk with them and to ask them questions, the same questions that he has for us today. He still speaks, you see, and he calls us to walk in the light to be his light in this dark world. And we must answer his questions for ourselves. Where am I in relation to the truth? Where am I? Am I acting disobediently to his commands? And what is it? Do I understand when I sin, what is it that I've done? Those are the questions he asks. Those are the questions that we need to answer each and every day. We must help others to hear those questions and to show them the God who asks them that he's slow to anger and abounding in love, compassionate and gracious, wanting not one, not one to perish, but all to come to life. Those whom he has chosen are those secure in him, but we know not who they are, and therefore we must go out with the word, confident that God will use us to bring that word to them, to help them see, for the truth sets free. Lies enslave God speaks a gracious word to a world in sin and rebellion. And he also says that we can come to him and be rescued from the lies that Satan tells and the lies that we tell ourselves. This book is foundational, the book of Genesis. It's historical. It's true. Genesis, along with all of God's word, must be taken seriously. Our eternal destiny rests upon it. Well, let's ask God to help us in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read this word, we're reminded again of Satan's schemes. We're reminded of how he twists things, how he lies to us, and we're reminded of the truth. And we need that truth, Lord, to be set free, to be set free from the lies we tell ourselves, that we could be happier if we just went our own way. We need to be set free from the lies that the world tells us, that to be your authentic self, you need to do whatever it takes, no matter what God says. We need to be set free from the lies that Satan tells when he says, you shall be like God. Lord, we've lost that in sin. It's only as we come to you that you're restoring that image in us, that likeness. Help us to listen by your spirit. Help us to grow younger and older in this congregation that together we might be encouraging each other not to live by lies, but to delight in the truth, for there is life. We thank you for your graciousness to us, O Lord, your patience with us. Hear us now, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.